0: thank you that you are on the throne today you are a god of grace and glory a god of goodness and mercy thank you lord that our time is in your hands father my prayer today is that you would help each of us to reflect on who you are and your purposes for our lives That, Lord, your church would rise up in affirmation of uh, its love for you, its commitment to your word, and that, Lord, we would be a people of truth and truthfulness, a people of grace and compassion, and that, Lord, we would uh, be a people of faith in in this time. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. I see many who uh, have, in in some ways, Lord, uh, maybe uh, been challenged uh, this week, who, who may have allowed themselves to demonstrate attitudes that were less than walking worthy of the manner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, deliver us from that temptation. On both sides, whether we win or whether we lose, we know that, Lord, when we belong to you, Ultimately, Lord, your kingdom comes. Your will will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And so, Father, we we rejoice in that certainty. Father, I pray uh, for our church. I pray for its needs. I pray that, Lord, and I thank you for those who have continued to give faithfully and sacrificially to our, our ministry I pray, Lord, for those who, who are tempted to forget us and tempted to, to maybe just uh, uh, move on and, Lord, uh, uh, kind of settle into a routine that, that, that excludes you and, Lord, your call to be gracious and giving and engaged and involved and, and, and committed to service, committed to discipleship. Lord, I pray that you would instill in us a hunger like we've never had before to know you, to know your word, to grow in that word, to be bold in our faith and our confidence in you, and that, Lord, we would not grow weary in doing good, that, Lord, we would not neglect this this habit of gathering together, whether that's online or in person, That, Lord, we would take our role as Christians seriously. That, that, Lord, we are called forth to worship you and lift you up. And, Lord, I do pray that this morning, even, we would make much of Jesus. We pray, Lord, for uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. We pray, Lord, that you would minister to them as they take on this mantle of leadership. Lord, I pray that you would allow them to uh, find you and experience your grace. That, Lord, you would lead them in a path of righteousness. And, Lord, where, where they are uh, headed down a different direction from your purposes, that, Lord, you would make that clear. And that, Lord, you would allow your church to stand firm and to stand up. But, Lord, in those areas where... We can, can uh, uh, work together, Lord. I do pray for a sweet spirit of unity and a new sensitivity to one another to arise in our nation as never before. We know that, Lord, ultimately that happens at the cross where the level field, Lord, reminds us that we are all sinners in need of your grace. I pray, God, that you would inspire us today with your word we would reflect on its truth. I pray, Lord, for those in our congregation who are hurting. I think of those who are sick, those relationships that are in turmoil. I think of those, Lord, who just feel lost right now and depressed. Would you minister your grace to them? Lord, it is our privilege to be in your house today. We confess that we love you and we need you more than ever. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. I want us to turn to Psalm 32 in our scriptures this morning. I'm going to read this together. And I'll invite you to stand with me and as we receive it. And let's just pray this prayer together, shall we? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out and pass it on amen amen hear this psalm psalm 32 blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the one whose sin the lord does not account against them and in whose spirit is no deceit when i kept silent my bones wasted away Therefore, all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. For a short season, we are going to spend some time in the Psalms over these next few weeks. And the Psalms are, in fact, a collection of songs. In fact, uh, the book of Psalms was considered to be the hymnal of the early church. And most of them, you will find, were written by David. Now, you know the story of David. He was a a shepherd, a, a warrior, a king. But he was also passionate about worship, a musician. Now, I don't know about uh, what kind of music you necessarily like. When I was a teenager, I would take a cassette tape. Remember those things, cassette tapes? And put them in this, this uh, uh, recorder, wait on the radio for a good song to come on, and then pl- press record and, and try to tape that song. And then I'd sit there and wait for the next song that I liked to come on, and then I'd press record again. And what we called that was a mixed it was a mixtape. Young people, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I realize that. But, of course, now we, we have those playlists on our, our, our cell phones. We carry them on our cell phones, and it's all digital. And some of our older folks have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But, uh, but on my phone, I have a couple of different worship playlists, songs that I like to, to listen to. I have a Johnny Cash playlist. Uh, I have a Taylor Swift playlist, all confession time here. That might surprise some of you, but shake it off. You'll get over it, okay? (laughs) But but the thing about a playlist is this is what you kind of listen to over and over again. And that's what these psalms should become for us. There's a sense where these songs should be on our playlist, things that we should have in our hearts and and be renewed in our minds again and again and again as the years go by, songs of the heart. The reason that this is so important is that, in fact, these songs are prayers set to music. In fact, most songs, if you think about it, that we sing in church are prayers set to music. Now, sometimes we, of course, pray without music, but often it's music and poetry that become the instruments for us to usher us into the very presence of God. And so my hope is, as we study these psalms, it will make our worship even more significant. Now, of course, there are several types of psalms, Uh, There are psalms of praise and thanksgiving. There are psalms of wisdom. They declare the wisdom and the glory of God and his wisdom over our lives. You'll find that there are psalms of enthronement. We call them the royal psalms. And ultimately, those psalms speak to the majesty of Jesus himself. But there's another type of psalm I want to focus in on over the next couple of weeks. And these are the psalms of Lament. The Psalms of lament. These are the Psalms that express sorrow and grief. They often cry out to God for help in the midst of trial and despair. Maybe you feel like lamenting this morning. If you're a Michigan fan, I understand. But specifically today, I want to deal with a psalm, the Psalms of Confession. Because in this psalm, we are too expressing sorrow, but we're, we're expressing sorrow for decisions that we've made, for the sin that we have participated in. We express grief for, for our sin. Now, the psalms that would typically follow fall under this category of psalms of confession would be these. You have Psalm 6 and 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. Now, I, I want to post these this morning and just kind of leave them up there for a moment because i i I wouldn't mind you write those down and in fact i would encourage you to to read through them this week and use them as a part of your prayer life i think that would be great now if you write these down and you stick it in your your wallet don't confuse these with lottery numbers okay that means you'd have to confess something else entirely different okay uh Reminder, if you did win, tithing is important. That's another sermon, but, but there we go. But most of us are familiar with these psalms, especially the Psalm 51. That's the one we, we often refer to. It's the, the psalm, the prayer of David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He confesses before God and repents and asks God for forgiveness and grace. But David is considered also to be the author of Psalm 32. And there are some things here that we see that I think is very, very important. It begins this way. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, as we begin to look at this, I want you to notice something right off the bat. The first thing I want you to notice is, is that when we read this word blessed, we see it a couple of times, and then we also see the word sin or sins a couple of times. And I want you to think about this because there is a connection between sin and God's blessing. In fact, they are inversely related. In other words, when we refuse to acknowledge our sin or to confess our sin, then we move further from being able to experience the blessing of God in our lives. Confession, acknowledging of sin, becomes the door by which we receive God's blessing, by which we experience the life that God wants us to have. And so if we want blessing... We have to be willing to confess our sin. That's a very biblical understanding. Now, the problem is this. That's not easy for us. In fact, we don't like to use the word sin. And I could talk a lot about this. But we, it's interesting how we use language. And and in fact, what we see in our society today is we often, instead of of using the word sin, we'll call it a what? A mistake. A mistake can be innocent. Uh, If I take a wrong turn, it doesn't necessarily mean I did it out of ill will. It was a mistake. So instead of sin, more and more often in our culture, we acknowledge mistakes. Or it's very popular today to call sin a disease. I can't help it. It's the way I'm wired. It's the way I'm made. I don't have control. And Yes, the Bible connects sin to a disease. The Bible talks about the fact that we are born with a sin nature. It's inherited. It's a part of who we are. But our language often allows us to escape a sense of responsibility. But here's the thing, when we do not acknowledge our sin, when there is no confession, when we don't confess, there's no forgiveness. And when there's no forgiveness, we miss out on God's blessing, the life he wants us to enjoy. And so some of us this morning, I think desperately are longing for God's blessing, And maybe what we need to do is look at ourselves and stop calling our behavior a slip-up, an error in judgment, a mistake, but rather be honest and say, I've sinned. Augustine, in his book Confessions, which was written about 400 AD, said this. He said, my sin was all the more incurable Because I did not think myself a sinner. You see, if we don't come face to face in our lives with a diagnosis, we're never going to be ready for a cure. Where have I sinned? And what have I done? Now, notice that David talks about the impact of not confessing sin, of unconfessed sin in his life. He goes on to say, when I kept silent. You know, when I refused to confess my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He says in verse four, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You remember in David's story with Bathsheba, he went for almost a year before he finally confessed his sin. So David knew very well the weight of guilt and the damage it could cause in his life. And for just a moment, I want us to think about the weight of unconfessed sin in our lives. First, the consequences are often emotional and, and physical. The truth is, you're going to live with more anxiety. You're going to live with more stress. There's a sense of fatigue that comes along. And some of you may have been living with unconfessed sin for years and years, and it's like you're carrying around this weight, and and you don't even realize it. Frankly, you carried it around so long that you don't even realize how it's brought you down and weighed you down. In a secular psychology textbook called Coping with Stress, it talks about people who keep secrets, meaning people who don't confess. It says they live with more physical and mental complaints, greater anxiety, more depression, problems such as back pain and headaches. Carl Menninger, a non-Christian a psychologist, said, if I could convince my patients that they were truly forgiven, 75% of them would never see me again. David says, there is a God in heaven And we need to make things right. And he starts by confessing sin. And he says, that is where you will be led to freedom. But more than that, unconfessed sin damages our relationships with one another. You see, when we harbor sin, this is what happens. We get angry. (laughs) We get angry with others more often. Because we're angry at ourselves. And our anger gets, and our frustration gets misdirected at other people. We become more critical of other people because we often don't like ourselves. And if we're living with guilt and shame, well, the reality is we want others to have to live with guilt and shame too. Uh, another thing that happens is we avoid people. I suspect that David avoided Nathan the prophet often. Often. Being around certain people reminds you of your sin and you'd rather just not be around them. So there are relational consequences. But then, and let's not forget this, there are spiritual consequences too. Sin becomes the barrier that separates us from God. And confession is the only door that we could walk through to get right with God. God. ...and receive the Lord's blessing. So David here outlines poetically this heavy toll... ...that has been taken on him... ...because of his unconfessed sin in his life. But then in verse 5 he says... ...then I acknowledge my sin. I owned it. It was me. It was my fault. I was wrong. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my sin to you... ...and did not cover up my iniquity... I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then he says in verse five, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David at a point came to to that moment where he was willing to lay down his pride. And boy, that's the big issue, isn't it? And he was willing to lay down his pride because he wanted to be right with God. He says, I did not cover up my sin. I was uh, reading a a short study, actually it was a little bit longer, but I was reading a synopsis of it called, and I love this title, I cheated, but only a little. And in this study, it involved over 4,000 people and researchers found that people who partially confessed felt worse than people who didn't confess at all. The psychiatrist who led the study said, confessing to only part of one's transgressions is attractive to a lot of people because they expect the partial confession to be more guilt-relieving than not confessing at all. But our findings showed exactly the opposite. People who partially admit what they did wrong feel guiltier because they do not take complete responsibility for their behavior. In other words, they add guilt to guilt. Now they feel guilty about what they did and feel guilty about what they didn't confess. And it just starts to pile on. The Harvard Business Review summarized the research this way. It said, confession is power is a powerful... Now, remember, this is the Harvard Business Review. It said, confession is a powerful way to relieve guilt... But it only works if you tell the whole truth. You know, the Bible has been saying that for years. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we are without sin, the truth is not in us. David then tells us how God responds to this confession. It simply says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And you know, as I thought about that for a moment, I realized, wow, that's interesting. I want you to think about that. God could have said, or David could have said, you forgave me my sin. But he, he adds a, an interesting phrase there. He says, you forgave the guilt of my sin. And I think that's important. Because some of that, for some of you, that phrase could be very, very instructive spiritually. I don't know about you, but for many of us, we may have grown up in a church that taught that God forgives our sin, but not the guilt of our sin. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but but God forgives you your sin, but you better feel bad about it and keep feeling bad bad about it. You better feel guilty enough to keep coming to church and keep working at trying to make things right. God forgives you, but some of you know what that kind of forgiveness is like because you live with somebody who says, listen, I forgive you, but you need to feel guilty about this the rest of your life until you die a miserable death. But you're forgiven. And, and the truth is, this is how, this is how many of us, I think, deal with sin and even God's forgiveness. We don't realize that when God forgives us, what He does with that, that idea that we have to still live in shame and guilt is not biblical. When we find with God, what we find with God is that he not only forgives us our sin, but he frees us from the guilt of that sin. You know, the Bible talks about God forgetting our sin. Imagine that. We have a God who forgets. A God who casts our sins into the depths of the sea, who casts them from as far as the east is from the west. And some of you have had your sins forgiven, but you still held on to the weight of that sin for years and the shame of that sin day after day, year after year. And I want to just say this morning, leave it here. It's time to let God take that weight off of you. That's what Jesus died for. You know, it's interesting in this passage, in fact, that David uses several different words to help us understand forgiveness one of the words he uses verse one is simply the word forgiven and here's how i would define that it means to lift a heavy burden and carry it away so that's one word forgiven but another word that david uses to capture the way god forgives is the word covered And this is the idea, to remove completely from sight. And that's an interesting wordplay, of course, going on here in this passage, because David says, I did not cover up my sin. And he comes along and says, but God covered up the sin I didn't cover up. And so the way he describes confession is an uncovering, but the way he describes God's forgiveness is a covering up. So here you have this interesting dynamic. We uncover our sin, God will cover it up with his grace, his mercy, and his love. But until we uncover our sin, we can't receive the covering of God's grace, of God's forgiveness. Now, there's even another phrase that I think is used here to help us understand God's forgiveness. And and, and this is what he says. He says, those sins will not count against us. That's so interesting to me because I think about, listen, we are dealing with a holy God. He just cannot not deal with sin. He can't accept sin and just dismiss it. And remember, this is in the Old Testament. This is before the cross. But even now, David is looking forward to what God is going to do in Jesus Christ. God doesn't count our sin against us because it is paid for by Jesus on the cross. God takes our sin, He removes it, but it wasn't ignored, it was laid on Jesus. It counted against Him, He paid the penalty on Calvary. He was righteous, declared a sinner. We are a sinner, declared righteous. Verse 6 says, therefore, man, if this is all true, then let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. So David is expressing this truth. If you're a person of faith and you have come to understand this truth, when it comes to confession, he says the time is now to do it. Don't wait for the rising waters. Don't put it off. And here's, man, if you don't hear anything else I say today, listen to this. Here's what happens. A consistent side effect of unconfessed sin Is a hardening heart. We think to ourselves, I'm gonna get around to it. I'll confess. I'm gonna confess. I'm gonna confess. I'm gonna come clean someday. But along the way, our hearts grow colder, our hearts grow harder. And eventually we come to a point where we don't want to do it anymore. And I wonder how many in our church right now are living in sin. They know it. And they just don't care. Philip Yancey says one day he was talking to a friend who claimed to be a Christian He'd been married for 15 years, had three children. And in this conversation, he said to Yancey, you know, I am no longer in love with my wife. And there's this one woman I know, and I'm going to leave my wife, and I'm going to marry this other woman. And the guy said to Philip Yancey, would God forgive me for what I'm about to do? Now, you, you hear what this guy is saying, of course, look, I'm going to (laughs) confess. After I have some fun, after I do what I want to do, I'm going to get around to it. Just want to make sure God will forgive me when I confess, right? Down the road. I mean, that's kind of God's job. That's the way it works, right? And that was his plan. Live how I want to live, do what I want to do and God will forgive me, and we'll all be good. Well, it took Philippians a few moments in reflection before he responded. And here's what he said, and I think this is so good. He said, can God forgive you? Of course. You know the Bible. But what we have to go through to commit sin distances us from God. And there is never a guarantee we will come back. You asked me about forgiveness now, but will you even want it later? Especially if it involves repentance? Can God forgive you? Yes. Will you be the kind of person who wants God's forgiveness? That's another question entirely. And so, David in verse 9 says, Don't be like the horse or the mule, which has no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Don't be stubborn and stupid. And wait for something to have to jerk you violently back to himself. Don't go down that path. And friend, I I just want to speak to that person who in some way right now is contemplating sin. I'll get around to confessing it someday. God is speaking to you right now. Verse 11, David concludes. He says, (laughs) I love this. Rejoice in the Lord, be glad, you righteous. Sing, all of you who are upright in heart. I want you to notice that David's message is for a group of two different types of people. For those of you this morning who have acknowledged your sin and you've genuinely repented, for those of you who aren't certain where you stand with God, those are two different groups. But Jesus is reaching out to each of us today. And my word of advice to you is to let him. For those of us who are Christians and you have received God's forgiveness and you know that he has declared you righteous. I am who he says I am. Then live like that. Let's not be people who live with guilt and shame, but instead let us be a people of joy just because uh, joy because of what we receive through God in Jesus Christ. And so we can celebrate it and marvel that we who were sinners are declared righteous. Again, I love what he says in verse 11. He says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad you righteous. But notice that important word there, that verb, that that action verb that ties into what we are to do about it. He says, sing, sing. Isn't it amazing? So here you have this song of confession that begins with our worst fear. We have to confess. We have to acknowledge our sin. But it ends with rejoicing, celebration, and singing. It seems appropriate then that we close our service with singing. Because if you've been forgiven, let God put a song in your heart. And if God is speaking to you today and he's calling you forth to confess, that's wonderful. He's reaching you and he's speaking to you and he wants to do something in your life. That's a reason to sing as well. Let's pray and then I'm going to invite Pastor Jason to come forward lead us. Lord Jesus I thank you for the wonder of your gospel that Lord we are not meant to be downloaded with uh, guilt and shame but we are declared righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done but Lord the, the door to that blessing is confession I pray oh God right now that you would allow us to experience the mercy of the Holy Spirit. You would speak to whatever condition we are. Lord, if we, if we need to confess our sins, Lord, we would do that with, with boldness and clarity and complete confidence in you. And Lord, if we have confessed our sin, live in your grace, may we just <laughs> truly understand and appreciate, Lord, that we are not under condemnation any longer, but we have been declared righteous. Lord, we sing because we belong to you. May we do it with all our hearts. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.